When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. It's Al Cole from CBS Radio, and I want to tell you about a Renaissance woman who excels at everything she puts her innovative mind to. And you know, I'm going to start it out like this. What would you say if I told you that I was going to introduce you to a lady who is a very successful business entrepreneur and a world-class creative force as a realtor, interior designer, hosts charity golf tournaments for wildlife, and is the cutting-edge author of the stunning Magical Forces Within? Well, Al, I'd say make the introduction, brother. <laughs> I've just been dying to learn some of all of those things from somebody who sounds like a real magnetic lady. <laughs> well, you're in luck because not only can you learn about the fabulous life accomplishments of this woman, whose name happens to be Rhonda Grant, <laughs> but week in and week out, Rhonda will introduce you to some of the most exciting guests on the planet as she hosts her own awesome podcast, the Rhonda Grant Show on Contact Talk Radio. Week to week, Rhonda skillfully weaves the magical forces within her with the extraordinary discoveries in the sometimes ordinary lives of her guests who blossom before your very eyes through the guidance and know-how of such a skilled and sensitive host as Rhonda Grant. you got to check it out. Check out all the action at rhondagrantauthor.com. That's rhondagrantauthor.com. Dot com to witness the extraordinary discoveries in otherwise ordinary lives. And I hear some of you asking right now, well, Al, how do you know all this? <laughs> I'll tell you. It's because I weave some of the same magic on my own nationally syndicated show called People of Distinction. It's all about humanity at its best. Every guest with extraordinary things to say about the magical forces within life itself. Get it? So check them out. The Rhonda Grant Show, Extraordinary Discoveries in Ordinary Lives, and People of Distinction, created by me, Al Cole from CBS Radio, now hosted by my amazing son, Benji Cole. You can check out People of Distinction on Apple Music or email me for exciting updates on my music and my books, too, especially Romance for Women on Amazon. Email me at al at alcoholic.com. You heard me right. That's a l at A-L-C-O-L-E-H-O-L-I-C.com. And I really want to thank my CBS radio listeners for coming up with that handle, Alcoholic. <laughs> Seems like from day one, my listeners have been saying, Al, we love what you're doing there, brother. In fact, we're hooked on it. We're Alcoholics. So here we go in classic form with a swing of a golf club as she hosts another charity golf tournament for wildlife and another incomparable Rhonda Grant show. So all together, everybody, here's Rhonda. Thank you for tuning in. You are listening to the Rhonda Grant show right now, and I have many great guests on this show, and I have a great guest coming up. If you've been searching for a deeper meaning in your life, go to Amazon and pick up my book, Magical Forces Within. You know, we're all ordinary people having extraordinary experiences. And we have a fantastic guest on the show today, Rod Collins. And we're going to find out about his extraordinary experiences. 
Rod is a leading expert on digital transformation and the future of business. He is the host of the Thinking Different podcast on the C-Suite Radio Network, where he explores how technological innovations continue to transform the rules of how successful businesses work. Rod is a regular blog contributor on Medium and the author of Wiki Management, a revolutionary new model for a rapidly changing and collaborative world, which highlights the innovative tools and practices used by a new breed of business leaders to sustain extraordinary performances in a world reshaped by digital disruption. Rod is the former Chief Operating Executive of the Blue Cross Blue Shield Federal Employee Program, one of the nation's largest and most successful business alliances. Under his leadership, the business experienced its greatest five-year growth period in the 60-year history. Welcome to the Rhonda Grant Show, Rod. Thank you very much. Pleased to be with you, Rhonda. Thank you. This is a true testament for today's new breed of business leaders. Tell us about this new business model and why it works so beautifully. Sure. The new business model is a distributed peer-to-peer network model. And I believe that over the next decade, it will rapidly begin to replace the traditional centralized top-down model. Um, you know, from for the last hundred years, the way that we've set up organizations is that they're designed to leverage the individual intelligence of the elite few at the top. Uh, those, those elite few tend to be experts and we look to them for the right answers. And based upon those right answers, we set up central planning and then we put in place authoritative control structures to make sure those plans are carried out. Mm-hmm. And I think most of our listeners will recognize that's how traditional organizations operate. This new organizational model is very, very different. First of all, it's designed to leverage the collective intelligence of everyone in the organization. And rather than being focused immediately on right answers, it's more focused on what are the right questions? Because in a rapidly changing world, there tends to be new information and there are a lot of unknown unknowns. So getting those unmasked is very, very important. And, and since you're focusing on right questions, the focus of strategy is not about planning, not central planning, it's focused on rapid discovery. And what you're looking for in the rapid discovery is to come up with innovative decision-making. So the difference between traditional top-down hierarchical management is it's designed for authoritative control command Mm -hmm. and control. Whereas in the new distributed peer-to-peer network model, it is designed for innovative decision-making. The purpose of management is not control. The purpose of management is for excellent decision-making. What is the process uh, from changing it from uh, the way it is now to the new model? It it begins with the senior leadership team. Uh, Unfortunately, I I think it's highly likely that the most dysfunctional team in the typical traditional organization is its senior leadership team. Mm -hmm. They tend to be a collection of of executives, each focus on their particular business unit or department, uh, and each of them competing eventually to be the top CEO. Uh, Many times uh, uh, people on leadership teams don't share information 
because to do so might disadvantage them in terms of rising up to the top spot. Uh, in the distributed peer-to-peer -peer network model, the senior leadership team is, uh, is a team and, and has to be a highly effective, highly collaborative team that is sharing lots of information because in a rapidly changing world, the more and the faster we can process information, then the more successful the company is likely to be. So a specific example of that, most mm -hmm. of us are familiar with the tremendous turnaround that Alan Mulally accomplished at the Ford Motor Company. Uh, when, when Alan was hired, he was, he was hired by Bill Ford, who was the previous CEO. And I think kudos to Bill Ford, who recognized that he was not the right CEO at, for the time. And at the time, Ford had been losing, uh, I think, something in the neighborhood of $16 billion. And wow. I, I thought it was a tremendous, tremendous sense of humility for Bill Ford to recognize that. And he went out and he recruited Alan Mulally from Boeing, brought him into Ford. And uh, as, as Mulally was talking to the, uh, to the people on the board, they were all encouraging him, you know, feel free to, you know, to fire any of the leadership team that you need to. And he kept telling him, I don't think I'm going to need to do that. And, and the board said, oh, you know, please, please feel free to do it. We're, we're sure you're going to have to, uh, you know, release some of this talent because we're doing so poorly. Uh, what Alan did is he put in place a leadership practice that he'd used in Boeing. It had a very, very neutral term. It was, uh, it was called the business process review. But what it was, it was a meeting every week for a half a day with all the senior leadership executives in Ford. And what he did, he, want, he, he transformed them from a highly competitive team into a highly collaborative team. And the, and the collaboration that they had among the team expanded the shared understanding about the business. It was a structure in which the different leaders could help each other in times of need, and they could process strategy together. And that was the primary driver behind why Ford had this successful turnaround. And it's important to do it with the leadership team because that discipline tends to propagate throughout the organization. The senior leadership team tends to be like a rudder on an airplane. It's a small part of it, but if the rudder doesn't work, then the whole plane will be in trouble. And so what he did was readjust that rudder so that it would be more effective turn them into this highly collaborative team and hence the turnaround. It also requires that senior leaders need to think very, very differently about, uh, about their jobs. First of all, they have to transform the way they, review, they, they view power. In a traditional organization, power is about being in charge. Mm -hmm. That's why we have command and control. But in the networked organization, uh, power is about being connected. That's why Alan Mulally spends all this time developing the leadership team. What he's doing is expanding the connections among them. And then that tended to expand the connections among everyone in the organization. Because when the senior leadership was doing its work in, in a connected mode, then that propagated throughout the organization. So it's a tremendous shift in the way we view power from well, what I call coercive power to collaborative power.
Mm-hmm. Well, and it has to do a lot with egos as well. Yes, it does. Because um, mm-hmm. yeah, go ahead. Sorry. No, I was just going to say because um, people in charge and author- authoritarians and in power have big egos, and if they're competing for the CEO or whatever they're competing for, it it keeps them isolated. Their group is isolated from other groups, right? And so it's remarkable what happened at Ford is that those leaders were on board uh, with the change. Yes, and and it turned out Ala Malali didn't fire a single member of the leadership team. Wonderful. Two left on their own because they just didn't like this style, mm-hmm. but they did that of their own choosing. Mm-hmm. So, but you know, you mentioned uh, uh, ego. The traditional organization tends to enable or almost tends to reinforce or require the development of ego. When you are designed to leverage individual intelligence, then everybody is motivated to appear smart. And what we tend to do is is create an environment in which everyone is competing to be the smartest one in the room. Because when you value individual smarts, that's what tends to happen. That's why people withhold information because that if I share information, it could make uh, somebody else look smarter than I. Um, And and what people are really doing is they're just following, if you will, the prompts of the system. Now, if you have a self-managed network where people are, uh, and and networks tend to be self-managing, then we're leveraging the collective intelligence of the team. And so the organization is smarter when we're all smarter. And in that environment, we all get smarter by sharing information rather than retaining information. And the leader has to go through a psychological shift in that oftentimes leaders feel most satisfied when they are singled out for the tremendous contribution that they've made in getting a team from here to there. I think the leader in a, uh, in a distributed peer-to-peer network organization, one that is self-managed, has what I would call the stance of a referee. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of the things I did in, earlier in my career is I, I spent 20 years as both a, a high school and a college uh, football referee, football official. and we had a saying among ourselves that we knew we worked the best game when nobody knew we were there. And that was our desire. And, and the leader of a network really has to have that stance that I know the organization is working well when they didn't even know I was there because what's happening is instead of reinforcing the notion of I did it, you reinforce the notion of we did it. And the leader gets a psychological payoff from being part of a team, leading a team in which the team looks to each other and says, wow, look what we did. Mm-hmm. Well, and uh, it's also strength. Uh, sorry, his ego is mistaken um, uh, for strength. And when I'm sure when people, um, CEOs are applying for job is that's what uh, the person who's hiring them uh, looks for is the strength of them carrying the company or that part of 
the job. And, uh, and that's uh, when uh, the ego is recognized. But, you know, you talk about collective intelligence. And for our listeners, can you just break that down a little bit more so that our listeners uh, understand what that means? Sure, sure. Collective intelligence is perhaps the most untapped resource in the typical organization. And, and I think it may be the most powerful resource. Mm -hmm. We have an old adage, we've heard it many times, that nobody is smarter than everybody. But mm -hmm. it, it turns out just to be kind of a, uh, you know, a, a proverb, if you will. Uh, yes. While we may say it, we don't know how to do it. And this was something that I discovered in my experience uh, leading first the operations and then the organization in the Blue Cross Blue Shield Federal Employee Program. Yes. Uh, we were a business alliance of 39 separate companies. And at the time we had sustained about two decades of low growth, low performance, not at the levels we wanted, we were doing okay, but we felt the need to turn the business around. Now these 39 organizations, some of them are competitors and our meetings were, were well, they weren't the best. And, and, and we really had a difficult time reaching closure. So when I was asked to lead the operations, the first thing we recognized is, you know, we're not a top-down hierarchy. Why do we manage it that way? What we have to do is learn how to lead a network. And we recognized too, we needed to get these 39 organizations to rapid closure. So we began and designed a meeting format that we initially called the no debate meeting. And so we recognize that oftentimes, and I think our listeners will relate to this, some of our best meetings are when we bring facilitators in. Well, suppose we, we had internal people facilitate the meetings and, and not lead them in the usual way. And let's use exercises like facilitators do rather than the usual debate that happens around a conference table. And let's work with sticky notes and, and flip charts. Uh, let's have discussions in the form of exercises and let's see what happened. And what happened was it was tremendous. We all of a sudden, what it eluded us for two decades, we could accomplish literally in two days. And that wow. is to bring these organizations to closure on a particular approach to strategy, a particular approach to a process or a particular approach to a product or, or project. But in the midst of this, we realized, oh my goodness, we have stumbled onto something. We discovered collective intelligence. And a lot of the people, as we had these meetings, at the end of it would come up, up to us and say, wow, I can't believe how much we did in so short a period of time. And none of us could have ever come up with what we designed here today. It could only happen by, by all of us working together with these processes. And so collective intelligence requires processes. Mm -hmm. It's not a matter of just grabbing a lot of people in the room. And after, uh, after I left Blue Cross Blue Shield and, and was looking back as to why did these, what we now call collective intelligence workshops work, I came across uh, James Sorowiecki's book, The Wisdom of Crowds. And when, uh, which really describes how collective intelligence works. And there were a couple of things in that book that stood out for me. One, he points out it's counterintuitive. And he also points out, even when we see it, it's hard to believe. And the other thing he points out, and this is really important, there are four attributes that must be present in order to 
uh, to tap into collective intelligence. And most of these attributes don't exist in the typical organization. The first one is you must invite diversity of opinion. All voices matter, even the ones you don't agree with, and you need them in the room. The second thing is people have to be free to express their independent thinking without any fear of retaliation. So there could be no sense of party line within the organization. Remember, we mentioned before, you gotta be poised for strategic discovery. You have to discover what you don't know that you don't know. Mm -hmm. The only way you can do that is you need to assemble diversity of opinion into the meeting and people have to be free to really express what they think and what they feel. The third attribute is you need local knowledge. You need people who are close to the processes or close to customers. So it's dangerous in these rapidly changing times mm -hmm. to make decisions in the C-suite if you are not finding some way to directly connect to the employees and the customers who are probably seeing uh, changes in the market before leaders are in, in the C-suite. Yes. And the final attribute is you need an aggregation mechanism. And so when I came across that, I thought, oh, wow, that's why our, uh, what I again call collective intelligence workshops, uh, which originally were designed as no debate meetings, worked with uh, Blue Cross Blue Shield FEP. We usually had about 50 people in the room. We had a rich diversity of opinion, uh, and we made sure that we had all kinds of other forms of diversity in terms of geography and demographics. Um, and, but we also wanted to bring in people who thought differently and who may not agree necessarily, as long as they would be willing to work with, with, with a group. Um, we, and, that all, you know, and, and the processes we designed so that there was independent thinking because by using facilitated approaches and small tables, we separated ideas from people. So when an idea was talked about, you didn't know if it was from a top executive in the room or if it was from somebody that we hired out of college two weeks ago. Mm -hmm. The idea just came from table one or table two. And this was important because we tend to gravitate around the ideas of the highest ranking person, but it's not necessarily the best idea. Yes. Uh, and so that local knowledge is important and, and you get that by having all of these different levels in the room. And so that's how we tapped into that. And our aggregation mechanisms were dots, those simple stick on dots that people are familiar with in facilitated sessions. And after a while, while we were using these, some of the people in the meetings will actually, were actually would come up and say, what we need to do and our way out of this is to follow the dots. But these <laughs> mechanisms, in most meetings in a typical organization, we don't combine departments and levels most meetings and organizations happen at the same level. So the executives tend to meet with other executives and the middle management tends to meet with other middle managers and, and first line people tend to meet among themselves. This, uh, the collective intelligence workshop gets, the, uh, gets a microcosm of the organization in the same space at the same time. And it's a key to speed because if a problem comes up, then you can just look across the room and say, what are the implications of that problem? And then you can work them. There were instances, for example, where uh, we may have had two items that needed to come together for a solution to work. And we think we're at the point of, of coming to that resolution when somebody would jump up and say, you can't do that. And I would say, why? 
And they would say, well, that affects me. And I can remember thinking to myself as the, as the facilitator, mm-hmm. how does this even impact you? And then they would describe it. And I go, oh, you're right. Well, now we have three things we have to balance to get a solution. In the typical organization, when that unaffected, per- when that affected person who wasn't in the room finds out about what you're doing, then they say, wait a minute, we got a problem. Well, it's going to take two weeks to set up a meeting so that we can discuss that. Maybe another two weeks in which we can, you know, find a way that we we work in this concern to an agreement that we already have set in motion. We eliminated that because in the space of literally about 10 or 15 minutes, we could get different people jumping up saying this affects me and solve the problem with all of the elements that are required for a good solution. That's an example of what uncovering what we don't know, what we don't know looks like. Mm-hmm. And one last thing about collective intelligence workshop. When we first started using these, I was nervous because these groups in two days would make tremendous leaps in getting from here to there. And I thought to myself, did you have to be in the room to understand this leap? Well, I was incredibly surprised when the results of the workshop, when they were passed out to the larger organizations, and these are 39 distributed separate organizations, the word back from those organizations was not, how did you come up with this? It was, wow, this is really well thought out. We can get behind this. When you get everybody in the same room at the same time and take the time to to cultivate diversity of opinion, independent thinking, local knowledge, have aggregation mechanisms in which you can can collate that collective knowledge, it winds up not being the least common denominator solutions that you typically get in compromised uh, debates. It winds up being the most optimal solution that we can come up with. And that in our case led to delivering complex projects on budget, on time and high quality. And that's what we're all working for. Well, it's transformational. I mean, people, when you're doing, when leaps of um, are happening during a meeting, I mean, it, it's, it's not common that that happens. It's usually a process, there's an agenda and all of that. But what you're doing is it's, it's, it's kind of like uh, think the think and grow rich uh, Napoleon Hill's mastermind. It's sort of like that where you, you know, that collective intelligence. And uh, the bigger picture is that people are way more cooperative when they feel that they have a say. Absolutely. As a matter of fact, one of the ways I described it is we changed the water cooler conversation. Yeah. In our old way of working at the water cooler, you would hear people say, how did they come up with that? And what happened by changing the water cooler conversation is by using collective intelligence workshops to come up with our strategy and direction. What was said at the water cooler was, wow, how did they come up with that? Mm hmm. You know, it's just, it does drive collaboration. People, we don't get collaboration in organizations oftentimes because when we, when central planning is how we do things and we're leveraging the elite few, they don't know what they don't know. And since they haven't uncovered that, when it goes out to the staff, there are people out there who realize there's a problem here, but they're told 
keep it to yourself. The decision's mm-hmm. been made. If you are part of the part of the team, means you do what you're told. In in a network, no. Part of the team means your voice matters early on. And leadership is about we want to uncover as many voices as we can, as early as we can, because that's how we unearth the unknown unknown unknowns. And if we front end those then we are likely to be immensely successful and also immensely profitable. Now, one other thing I, I wanna mention is executives have to get very comfortable with a phenomenon that makes them very uncomfortable. And that is emergence. In a top-down hierarchical structure, you, you know we come to the answers quickly because it's focused on right answers right away and we transform those into a plan. Uh, and you know, we know what we know what we want to do, we know where we want to going, and we're going to stay focused on that. Period. End of story. Well, in a rapidly changing world, that's hard to do. In, mm-hmm. the, in the stable world of the 20th century, um, uh, you pretty much knew I'd be doing the same thing next year that I'm doing this year. I, I mean, take my own example. I joined uh, Blue Cross Blue Shield Federal Employee Program in 1974. And in 1993, we had the same exact organization that we did when I joined it. After 1993, organizational changes started happening with rapidity. Why? Because the world started to change faster around the mid 90s, just as the internet comes in. And so uh, in the old management model, if you wanted to create the future, you look to the past because you could extrapolate if you, and this is why you leverage experts. Experts know everything about the past. And if, if I understand all the relationships between all the elements in my business in the past, and that's what makes me an expert, then I can extrapolate from those and I can uh, create the future of the business. And that's why we call it strategic planning and strategic forecasting. In a rapidly changing world, strategic planning could be a death trap. Strategies mm-hmm. about discovery and discovery is an emergent process. That's why you need processes like the Collective Intelligence Workshop. That's why you need to design your organization as teams that are focused on, on their their cross-functional teams, they cross-pollinate on a day-to-day basis, and they're constantly uncovering the things that need to be known early on in the processes. And strategy is something that emerges through a discovery process. So you don't necessarily begin with the exact end in mind. You begin with a sense of direction and Mm -hmm. the end begins to, the end actually emerges through this process. This is what we have seen. An example of this in companies where our listeners may be familiar is in software development. Software development uses agile techniques and almost all software is used now using agile. And Agile is a discovery process. They work in sprints that are usually about two or three weeks long. They iterate, they reevaluate, they ask what we learned, what's working, what's not working. Uh, that's how, what discovery looks like. And then we, we set a goal for the next three weeks. And it's an iterative process. And, and the software development project actually emerges through the sprints. That's completely different from the old way we did software, which was to follow a very detailed plan that was spelled out in advance, where we pass the development of software 
from one person to another person in what they used to call a waterfall process. Mm -hmm. Agile software development is done in a team basis that is, is involves uh, 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 business people as well as development people and is constantly cross-pollinating their information. And so Agile, uh, for companies who are using Agile, that is, uh, if you will, a harbinger of how I think all management is going to go in the future. Mm -hmm. And what I see, and, and I think uh, people might be thinking about this too, is, is you end up with healthier em employees and a healthier environment, less stressful jobs, like just happier people, because they feel that they're, they're part of something really big. You know, that's very true. And you save a lot of time and you save a lot of money because when you work in the traditional mode in a rapidly changing world and you're not uncovering the unknown unknowns early on, then you're doing a lot of rework and rework takes money yes. and time. Mm -hmm. When you have, when you use collective intelligence as a lever to uncover the unknown unknowns early on before you become the begun the bulk of the work that's where the time and that's where the the money savings come mm -hmm. and they want to go to work they don't take as oh. many sick days as well, well. you know it's it's interesting <laughs> that uh, there's a debate out there as to what motivates people more is it recognition or is it dollars well i read somewhere and i, I forget who said it but it was a brilliant observation uh, neither that's not what most motivates people. What most motivates people to come to work is simply this. I work with a group of people who know what they are doing. Knowing what you're doing is the greatest motivator. And so when you're able to use collective intelligence to cover unknown unknowns, now you've increased your knowledge. Now we have expanded what we know, what we're doing. And then when you execute on that and it is successful, that is extremely rewarding. That's what keeps people engaged. What causes people to be unengaged, disengaged or, or, or feel down about work is I have to go into work every day and I sit by people where, where nobody knows really what they're doing. And they know that somehow the system has created those circumstances. They don't know what they can do about it. And so they just hunker down and do their job as best as they can. But if you have the opportunity to work in an environment where I go in there and I know what I'm doing, they know what they're doing. I know that they know what they're doing. They know that I know what I'm doing. The, the, the velocity uh, of, of informational flow, the velocity of workflow just goes up. Uh, oh, in, yes. in, in the experience that I had when I was inside Blue Cross Blue Shield FEP, as I recall, our turnover rate was less than 3% per year. Fantastic. We created an environment in which people really liked coming to work. Exactly. Uh, I had some, some, um, some of my colleagues uh, who stay in touch with me since my days there, there's one who refers to the times that where we worked there, he refers to it as Camelot. He said, <laughs> yes. he said, I feel privileged that for 10 years, I got to live, to work in a Camelot environment. And I think that reflected the feelings of, of, of a lot of the people who work there. Wonderful. 
You're listening to the Rhonda Grant Show uh, right now with my guest, Rod Collins. How may people connect with you, Rod, if they wanted to uh, reach out? The best way to connect with me is on LinkedIn. Uh, I'm, I'm just linked. It's just Google Rod Collins LinkedIn and, uh, uh, and you'll find me there. Uh, I'm also, I've got a podcast on C-Suite Radio called Thinking yes. Differently with Rod Collins. You can find me there. And if you'd like to learn more about this innovative management model, uh, you could pick up my book, Wiki Management, um, a, a, a revolutionary model for a rapidly changing and collaborative world. Is that, is that on Amazon? It's on Amazon and yes. Barnes and Noble both. Yes. And Bar- Barnes and Noble. Yeah. Do you feel uh, that you've been guided to your work? I mean, this is so inspirational and you're really a forerunner in doing what you're doing, especially you already tried it out uh, years ago uh, when nobody was, was doing this type of work when you were with the blue cross blue shield. Yeah. yeah. Um. Yes, I, I, the seeds were planted when I was in college, mm-hmm. uh, very, very briefly, because uh, uh, I participated in a course uh, that contained, uh, one of its requirements was to attend a two-day, uh, all-weekend uh, exercise called a simulated society. And I was assigned the role of the Chief Justice of the Supreme Court of the Society, Wow. And in that role, our society accomplished what 95% of the simulated societies don't. And it was a functional society. And it was, I, it was so transformative for me because yes. I, I worked together with the, with the president and we both took the attitude, we're, we're going we're gonna to create collaboration here. And what I learned as a college student is power is neutral. It's not good or bad in and of itself. It's the type of power you choose to exercise that makes the difference. Mm-hmm. If you invest in collaborative power, then you can really create something special. If you invest in coercive power, it tends to be dysfunctional. And so that kind of guided me through my career uh, as, as I was able to move into management positions. And I was very thankful for the professor who made that a requirement of that course. Uh, that course, but uh, if you will, if, if there was a calling, it came out of that experience. That's uh, it's a pivotal moment yeah. in, in your life for sure. What extraordinary discoveries have you found in your life? I have found that is a discovery I made. Most people yes. come to work, have the right attitude. They want to work together. They they inherently want to work collaboratively. It is the traditional system that forces them into a competitive nature with each other. Um, I recall about a year before I had the opportunity to put this network approach into Blue Cross Blue Shield FEP, we had gone to an offsite culture session. Um, The larger Blue Cross Blue Shield Association brought in a new CEO who, who wanted us to do some culture work. I spent three of the best days of, uh, I've ever d- worked uh, were those three days. But I always remember on that third day, I had a gnawing feeling. In three weeks, everything's going to be back to normal, despite mm-hmm. the fact we're all signing sheets of paper, that we're all making commitments that we're going to work differently. Because we went back and worked into the same system. 
and the yeah. command and control eventually took over and, and, and the sheets of paper we all signed while well, they disappeared. Well, a year later, when I had the chance to lead the operations, I thought, let's put in a different system. Let's design it as a network. And we changed the culture. And without having any cultural event, there was no fanfare, no announcement. And I realized out of that, that a couple of things. One, if you want to change the culture, change the system, because the mm -hmm. system determines the culture. Yes. So if you maintain a hierarchical system, you're going to have rough cultures. If you set up structures as peer-to-peer -peer networks, you're going to have a better culture. I, and, that's, and I saw people, when we went into this, become their natural selves. We designed mm -hmm. a system in which, in which being collaborative was how you got rewarded. And they really like that. Uh, so we really don't have to send people off to, to cultural retreats. We just mm -hmm. need to design systems. I also learned that collective intelligence is incredibly powerful and it is incredibly fast. And, and in today's markets, you have to be both intelligent and you have to be fast in order to be a sustainable company. Otherwise, you'll be limited to your current business model. Another reason networks are more effective is they are designed for adaptability because they're designed around discovery and more intelligent decision making. Traditional organizations are designed around planning and maintaining status quo. And so I, I, I learned that how you set up the system determines whether or not you are going to be able to be adaptable and keep up with changes. So those were a couple of key lessons that I learned along the way. Well, I love the word that you said, it's powerful. Um, it, because, and, and you said that people show up in their natural state, which is their, uh, their natural essence of who they are or their being. And when people are given the permission to show up that way, that's what generates this power. And I'm, it's just incredible what you've been sharing with us today, because, um, it's, it's life-changing. It really is. And maybe employees will start demanding um, if uh, the, the top-down doesn't change, maybe employees will start demanding that they have these types of meetings and, uh, as you say, workshops and stuff in order to make their department better, yeah. right? That, and and I, I think it can come from employees, but I think the market's going to drive it as well. The market will. It, it, and I think it'll come from both of those places. And, and now, I mean, this is, this is my work at this point, is working with both leaders uh, and organizations who want to transform themselves. And it, it has to be done in that order. The leaders have to transform first because they mm -hmm. are like rudders on an airplane. Uh, I think I mentioned that before. And uh, until they are in the mindset of the Alamalali type team, and you have yes. to get them there. You can't transform the rest of the organization. Once that team becomes a highly collaborative, highly effective team, then you are ready to transform the organization into self-managed cross-functional teams that have a high degree of autonomy. Mm -hmm. and, and that high degree of autonomy actually makes the company a more intelligent firm. It also transforms the work of the senior leader, because when I do senior leadership retreats, I do a, an exercise, and for the 
purpose of time, I won't describe it. But what the exercise inevitably shows is that senior leaders uh, identify that they spend 80% of their time in operations where they should be spending only 20% of it. Mm -hmm. They spend only about 10% on strategy when they self-identify 40%. And so I asked them, why do you have this 60 point gap and who is doing strategy? That's your work. It's your most important work. You have to be devoting time to it. And by, by delegating the operations to the rest of the organization and by doing it in a team-based mode, they will intelligently carry it out. And this frees up the leadership team to do what is the most important work, especially in a rapidly changing and more complex world. And that is to do strategy to be thinking 10 years out, to be thinking how that affects what we do today, to be thinking about how can we be preparing for a different tomorrow while we're maintaining today, because you still need to keep the lights on. Strategy today is not a single path, it's a dual path. You must be improving today and creating tomorrow at the same time. It's a lot of work and it's the most important work of the senior leadership team. Well, I can see companies moving in leaps and bounds. Uh, by using this model. Uh, I I really can. Thank you so much, Rod, for just educating us on on a subject that I did not know anything about until we uh, began talking together. I am fascinated by this. I'm impressed. I'm just over the top because I've worked in corporations where um, it's exactly, it's a top-down corporation. And, and employees spend a lot of time grumbling and complaining instead of working and being productive. It's, it's, so I commend you for the work that you're doing. And uh, I, I just, I, I'm just fascinated by the whole thing. So thank you so much for joining me on the Rhonda Grant Show. I, I really have loved you as my guest. Thank you so much. And it's just been a pleasure sharing time with you. Thank you. Theme song uh, coming up for the Rhonda Grant show, Sun on the Water, is composed and performed by my friend John Park Wheeler. This is Rhonda Grant with the Rhonda Grant show author of Magical Forces Within, Extraordinary Discoveries in an Ordinary Life, inviting you to look for the magical forces within yourself today and every day. Thank you so much for tuning in. Thanks for tuning in to the Rhonda Grant Show with your host, Rhonda Grant. If you would like to find out more information about Rhonda and her upcoming guests and the work that she does, go to her website, rhondagrantauthor.com. That's rhondagrantauthor.com. 